lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Mainly is the hero of the Tanya. It's called the average Jew. And what formerly was called the tzaddik, people refer to as the tzaddik, as the highest ideal, became reduced to the benini, the average. The Alter Rebbe reduced, what was formerly considered the highest ideal, uh, was reduced to the benini. This is the average. The benini is a Jew who is perfect in behavior and action. He thinks like a Jew, speaks like a Jew, acts like a Jew, and behavior is perfect. But he's not a tzaddik. And the difference between the tzaddik and the benini is the tzaddik is a Jew who has no temptation. He only wants to do good. He simply has no temptation towards anything materialistic. He's only attracted to godliness, to spirituality, to spiritual things. That's a rare individual. The benini, however, is a Jew who has temptation but is able to overcome his temptation. And when it comes to behavior, he's perfect. He thinks perfectly and acts perfectly and speaks perfectly. And that's the last two chapters Alter Rebbe characterized and defined the Benini. In this chapter, he's going to apply those teachings and show us how is this possible in real life? How do we live up to this ideal? Because it turns out that this Benini that we discussed, do you know anyone that's a Benini? <laughs> Have you ever met anyone that's a Benini? I mean, this, this, this level that he describes as being average and applicable to everyone, 99.9% of us, maybe I met once in my life such a person. And yet, this is what the Torah demands from us. Because the Torah, the mitzvot were given to us, wasn't given to angels. The Torah and mitzvot were given to each and every Jew. Hashem demands each and every Jew to fulfill all 613 mitzvot. And the code of Jewish law is written for each and every Jew. It wasn't written for saints, for rabbis, for... <coughs> the code of Jewish law was written for each and every Jew. Meaning Hashem demands, Hashem is so demanding, Hashem demands of each and every one of us. In other words, we have the potential to be a benin, to be perfect, to follow that everything in our lives should coincide with the code of Jewish law. We should, everything we should do should be correct and right and moral and ethical and spiritual. And there's no excuse. Every one of us has the potential, has the ability to live up to this. And it seems like such, a, such an ideal, such a lofty ideal. Yet how could the Torah demand this of each and every one of us? So in this chapter, Alter Rebbe is really going to take the definition of the Benini and apply it in real life. How do we live up to this? So we begin the second uh, paragraph, page 203. Now, the rank of Benini is one that is attainable by every man. Each person should strive after it if he has not yet attained it and should not think it beyond his reach. For every person can, at any time or hour, be a Benini. Okay, wow. Every one of us, every single Jew, excluding the tzaddik, 99.9% of the Jewish people, every single one of us, has the ability to be a Benini. And that's what we should strive for. That's what we should aspire to. And don't think it's beyond our reach. We can, we can accomplish this. Hashem does not demand from us something that's not impossible. Hashem demands from us that alone tells us that it's possible. If the code of Jewish law is written for us and the 613 mitzvot are given to each and every Jew, that means each and every Jew could fulfill all 613 mitzvot. 
And not only Jews in the time of Moses, holy Jews, who witnessed and experienced miracles. Us, in the year 2007, every single one of us, every single Jew, wherever they are, whoever they are, whatever circumstances they find themselves, it is the most natural thing in the world for them to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. But how is that possible? Okay, continue. Because the Bainani does not abhor evil. Unlike the Tzaddik, he does not find worldly pleasures revolting and loathsome. For this is a matter entrusted to the heart. And as explained earlier, the Bainani has yet to conquer the evil in his heart. Consequently, he does not loathe evil. The difference in the Tzaddik and the Bainani, the Tzaddik is one who not only doesn't do the wrong thing, only does the right thing, he's not even tempted to do the wrong Because something has changed in his heart. He's despi- he despises evil. He hates evil. He hates materialism. He hates superficiality. He hates anything that's skin deep. He's only attracted to depth, to, to genuineness, to, to soul, to spirituality, to godliness, to real things. So that's, that's a change. That's a change of the heart. That's a matter of the heart. The Benini, however, is not, is not in control of his heart. The Benini does have a temptation. So no one is asking of the Benini no one is asking of the Benini to despise evil. That's not what Hashem demands from us. And then he says, I'll continue, also... Also, not all times are alike. There are times, such as during prayer, when one's heart is open and receptive. At such time, he may evoke a loathing towards evil. At other times, the heart may be blocked and spiritually insensitive. And one is incapable of loathing evil. Inasmuch as the Benini's attitude towards evil varies, while his status of Benini remains constant, it is understood that loathing evil is not the measure of the Benini. He, we learned earlier that the Benini, there are times that the Benini also can get a break from this constant struggle. It's wearying, it's very tiring. If you're constantly fighting and struggling, you need a break. Everyone needs a break, a vacation. And what's the break? When you pray, that's the time of prayer. When you pray and you fill your mind and your heart with the light of godliness, you meditate and focus on godliness, and you evoke a feeling in your heart. So for those brief moments of prayer, you put your ego to sleep. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't bother you. It's, it, don't worry. It's, it's alive and healthy and well. and come roaring back the minute you hit the kugel right after davening. But, but during, during davening, it's quiet. It's, it's, you, you give it a shot, an anesthesia. You put it to sleep because when there's light, there's no room for darkness. When you fill your mind, when your mind is meditating and focusing on godliness and your heart is evoked with a feeling to godliness, at that time, you're not even tempted to do something wrong. So everyone gets that break. You have the opportunity. You have the but that's only temporary. It's only during prayer, only on Shabbos and Yantif, certain special, auspicious moments and Purim, special, uplifting moments in your life. But this is not a daily occurrence. <clears throat> So obviously we're not in charge, we're not in control of our hearts. We can um, change our hearts, transform our hearts. The tzaddik has totally transformed himself. His being is transformed. He has transformed the subconscious. So he no longer has any temptation, any pull, any desire towards anything, anything, material, any, anything materialistic. The benini doesn't have that power to transform his inner heart. He only has the power during certain moments Hashem gives us the ability to, to take a break, to get a vacation, to get a rest from the, from the struggle. But then the struggle comes back. So the, the Benini, no one is asking of the Benini. And Hashem is not demanding of us that we shouldn't be tempted to do something wrong. That's not in our control. It's impossible. That's not what Hashem demands from us. 
What does Hashem demand from us? Continue, rather. Rather, the task of the Benini is only to turn away from evil and do good in actual practice, in deed, speech, and thought. In these matters, as opposed to matters of the heart, every man is given the choice, ability, and freedom to act, speak, and think even that which is contrary <coughs> to the desire of his heart and diametrically opposed to it. We were given freedom of choice. What the Torah demands from a Jew 24-7, at all times and all places, there's no excuses. We're held responsible. And the Torah demands it of us, Hashem demands it of us, is that we should behave appropriately. We should think appropriately, appropriate thoughts. We should speak appropriately, not slander, not lie, not deceive, not cheat. We should act appropriately at all times and all places, 24-7. There's no excuse. There's no break. There's no excuse. Because we, if Hashem demands it of us, that means we're capable of doing it. But we have temptations. We're not in control of our heart. How are we to overcome our heart? Because, yes, we have freedom of choice. We're not animals. Animals are creatures of instinct. We have a choice. A human being has the ability to do something that goes contrary to his instinct, do something unpleasant, do something that's difficult to do, to go against your nature. That's the, that's the human being. We're the only creature in the universe that has that ability. It has the ability. We can stretch. We're flexible. We can choose to do something that we hate doing. But for the fun of it, we'll do it. Well, let me try to do something. Let me read a book that I, I can't stand. But oh, let me try it. It's a good exercise. This, you know, most people end up reading the papers they like to read. They have their bias. They're conservative, liberal. But it's a good exercise. Read a paper that you can't stand just to see another opinion. It, it's fun. I mean, that's what makes a human being a human being. You have the ability to, to do something that's contrary to nature, that goes against, to do something a little different instead of being so predictable. So, so most people are so predictable. Instead, do something a little unpredictable. Do something a little different. And, but that, that's an ability that we have because we have a mind. Hashem gave us a mind. We have the ability to step outside of ourselves. We have the ability to, to, to do something exactly opposite. So just because my heart wants something, my heart desires something, it doesn't mean that it's, it's not destiny. That 20 million recovered alcoholics in America. And modern medicine claims that they have a gene that predisposes them towards alcohol. So they have a gene that predisposes them. They chose not to. It's not destiny. Genes are not destiny. Just because you're born with a predisposition doesn't mean I have to behave that way. You're not an animal. Just because you have an instinct that pulls you, they're children who are born with uh, an illness. They, 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 I forget the exact word for it. They, they knock their heads on the wall and they tear their hair out of their head. But it doesn't, it, just because a person has a predisposition that people are kleptomaniacs. They're multimillionaires. Famous actors and actresses are caught uh, stealing the, the bars because it's kleptomania. So no one's going to say, well, since you're born with a predisposition, it's a wonderful thing, and therefore you're doomed and you're destined. You know, a person has the ability. You have to struggle. Everyone struggles in life. Everyone struggles. Life is a conflict. Life is a conflict. Everyone struggles in life. Everyone. Including the tzaddik. Tzaddik also has to struggle. As we learned earlier, the tzaddik has to struggle from good decisions to even better because good is not good enough. If that's not the right decision for the moment, because it could have been a better decision, then that, that's considered a sin for the tzaddik. When we talk about a sin of a tzaddik, because that's his struggle. Everyone has to struggle. You have, that's, 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 the, that's life. And just because a person is born with a predisposition, and just because we choose the path of least resistance, and just because we all choose the easy way out... That doesn't make it right, but we have the ability to overcome, to rise above, to, 
to overcome our instincts. So just because a person has a, a passion and an urge and an instinct and a drive, and it doesn't mean that you must, you're doomed to, to, that nature is not destiny. You have the choice to overcome, overcome your nature, to go against your nature, to go contrary to your nature. What I missed what you said was the sin of the tzaddik. The sin of the tzaddik is everything the tzaddik does is good, but there's good and there's better. And sometimes the choice that he made was good, but it was not the appropriate choice because it was a better choice. And therefore, that's not what Hashem wanted. That was not what was called for at that moment. So he had to choose a better choice. Yeah, like, right. like when Moshe hit the rock. Moshe hit the rock was a miracle. I mean, water came out of it. <laughs> His sins are miracles. But it was a sin, because compared to Moshe, there should have been, there was a more appropriate response. He should have spoken to the rock. Okay. I mean, this is a sin. But compared to Moshe, that was not the right decision at the time. There was a better decision. Was something that, so that's considered, for, Moshe, for the tzaddik, that's, considered, that's a decision the decision tzaddik has to struggle with. Everyone has struggles in life. No one, goes, no one sleeps through life. Life is a struggle, period. The question is, are you going to struggle from good to even better, or are you going to struggle between positive and negative? So 99.9% of us have to struggle from positive to negative, negative to positive. But just because we have instincts, and just because we have urges, and just because we have habits, and, and, and uh, nurture, nature, or society, environment, well, this is the example I saw by my parents, and this is the example I grew up with, it doesn't excuse you. Just because you grew up this way and just because you behave this way, the Torah says, the Torah expects us to behave differently. The Torah says something is immoral, something is unethical, something is wrong, it's wrong. And you have the ability to overcome it. The Torah, this is the foundation of Judaism. A person has freedom of choice. There's no victimization in Judaism. There's no claim of victimization. I'm, I can't help myself. No, 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 doesn't, the Torah doesn't accept that. You, you could help yourself. You're not a child, you're not a baby, you're not, a, you're not an animal. You're a human being. Exercise the divine gift that Hashem gave you, you have choice. And a person has a choice. If you only want to, you have to choose. Don't blame your mother, and don't blame society, and don't blame the world. You have a choice. And if you choose, and you choose to overcome your habit, and choose to overcome your instincts, every one of us has that ability. Continue. For even when one's heart craves and desires a material pleasure, whether permitted, in which case it is only the lustful nature of a desire that is evil, instead of desiring the pleasure for the sake of heaven. As he should, he seeks self-gratification, or whether, God forbid, he desires that which is forbidden, and the desire is intrinsically evil, whatever sort of craving it is. So whatever craving, whether it's something that's permissible, but it's also wrong, it's also negative, if you, if you just crave it for the sake of indulgence self-gratification without inserting any intent of Hashem, Hashem Shemayim, that that's negative. How much more so if you crave to do something prohibited? You crave to speak a juicy piece of gossip. <laughs> you crave to do something prohibited. To lie, to steal, to cheat, to do something, to do something prohibited, whatever it may be. Nevertheless, he can conquer his desire and divert his attention from it altogether. By declaring to himself, saying to his heart as follows. Okay, so now the question is, how do you do that? It's, very, it's easier said than done. <laughs> how is a human being, an average human being, who's not a tzaddik, who's not holy, an average human being, how is he able to overcome temptations? Especially, especially when we live in a world where the distractions are all around us. It's like overwhelming 
can't run away from it, you can't hide it. Where does a person get the strength of character and the strength to be able to overcome all these instincts and urges when everything in the world inflames all these urges? Everything is pressuring you. Indulge, self-gratification, uh, you know, live, live like a chazer and, and just live that type of lifestyle. Where does a person get this tremendous inner strength to be able to overcome this. Yeah, we're not dealing with a tzaddik. You're dealing with a person that's struggling. And Hashem demands this of each and every one of us. We have this ability. How do we do this? So Dr. Rebbe's not going to give us practical advice. What do we tell ourselves? What can give us the strength to be able to do the right thing? At the bottom. I do not want to be a rasha. And succumbing to the blandishments of the animal soul even for a moment, because under no circumstances do I want to be parted and severed, heaven forbid, from the one God as it is written, your iniquities separate you from Hashem. By reflecting that sin separates one from Hashem, one will conclude that he does not wish to be a Rasha, since he will thereby sever his, uh, his bond with him. In this way, one can always turn away from evil and refrain from sin, although his heart craves it. So the question is, how could one separate himself from, from Hashem? It says, there is a mechitza shel barzel, there is a wall of iron that separates between the Jews and the Father in heaven. Hashem is everywhere. How could you separate yourself from Hashem? Hashem is in front of you, Hashem is all around you, Hashem is within us, all around us. How could one separate yourself from Hashem? And the answer is, it doesn't say... There's a wall, an iron wall that separates from Hashem and us. It separates us from Hashem. And that is, it's like you can have your best friend at the other end of the world in Australia, and yet you feel so close. You can have a person sitting right next to you, and you feel as distant as from here to Mars. The animosity is hatred. Why? Because you turned away from them. You, it's, it's internal. The only thing that can separate a Jew from Hashem is when a Jew turns away from Hashem. Because Hashem is everywhere. But the entire existence is based on the will of Hashem. Everything that exists, everything that exists, exists because Hashem wills it to exist. Page 205. Hashem wills it to exist. Everything is based on the will of Hashem. The only way you can truly separate from Hashem is when you go against, contrary to Hashem's will, Hashem's wish. When Hashem asks you, don't do this. And you go ahead and do it anyway. You speak Lashonari, you lie, you do something wrong. Hashem asks you, don't do this. You're going against Hashem's will. At that moment, you truly cut yourself off from Hashem. You're going against the will of your Creator that's creating you this, this very moment. Your very substance is nothing other than the divine. When you, go and go, when you do something and go against Hashem's will, you're really cutting yourself off from your very existence, from your very root and source of existence, your very being. That's the only way you can really separate. That's what the, the verse says, The only thing that can separate you from Hashem is only a sin. And it doesn't matter what sin. Not only a severe sin, the tiniest sin. Anytime you go against the will of Hashem, you're cutting yourself off from the very root that, you, that, that, that you're sitting on. The very branch that you're sitting on. So that's what, the, that's what divides between you and Hashem. So do I want to do something that goes against the will of Hashem? Do I want to cut myself off from Hashem? Do I want to be a rusher? Do I want to be wicked? Absolutely not. Similarly, Similarly, in order for one to do good and actively perform the mitzvot, he should declare to himself, 
I desire instead to unite my nefesh, ruach, and neshama with Hashem through investing them in His three garments. Namely, action, speech, and thought dedicated to Hashem, His Torah, and His commandments. These are called His, God's three garments, because they lend expression to His wisdom, Torah, and will, mitzvot, which are one with Hashem Himself. Right, the mitzvah, when you do a mitzvah, the mitzvah is the will of Hashem. So when you're doing the mitzvah, you're really becoming one with Hashem. So the mitzvah is one with Hashem. So it's like Hashem's three garments, like Hashem's thought, speech, and action. When you think a mitzvah, and you speak a mitzvah, and you do a mitzvah, um, you're actually becoming one, one with Hashem. I continue. This desire to unite with Hashem arises out of the love of Hashem that is surely hidden in my heart, though I do not feel it. Just as this love is found in the heart of all Jews who are called lovers of your God's name, by reason of their inherent love of Hashem, although they do not all feel this love consciously. So deep down, every Jew wants to do the right thing. It's the most natural thing in the world for any Jew and every Jew to do all the mitzvot. Because when the Torah tells a Jew to do a mitzvah, the Torah is not just forcing us and commanding us to do a mitzvah. What the Torah is revealing to us is that deep down, this is what we want to do. Whether we're conscious of it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, or whether we feel it or not, the reality is, if you were to take an x-ray of yourself, deep down when the Torah tells you to do a mitzvah, because the Torah is telling you deep down this is what you want to do. And when the Torah tells us to avoid a prohibition, a transgression, the Torah is telling you, not just forcing you to behave in a certain way, is putting you in a straitjacket. What the Torah is telling you, deep down, you don't want to do this. You think you want to do it. That's just the superficial nature. That's just the surface self. But if you were to recognize your deepest self, your core, your essence, your essence, you, are, you have a connection to Hashem. And that's what you're all about, deep down. And how do we know this? And how he continues that this is not just some deep down truth that we have to take in faith that we have it deep down, that we're totally unaware of. Continue on top of page 206. For this reason, even a Kal Shevachalim, a most unworthy Jew, is capable of sacrificing his life for the sanctity of Hashem, should he be forced to deny him, Hashem forbid. Surely I am not inferior to him. As will be explained in later chapters, the ability of even the lowliest Jew to give up his very life for Hashem stems from every Jew's innate hidden love of Hashem, which is activated and aroused whenever he feels that he is being torn away from him. So here we have, a mo- in a moment of truth, when push comes to shove, when we are challenged, deny your Jewishness, or God forbid, lose your life, even Jews who have no visible or conscious connection to anything Jewish, who for years argued, claimed that I'm a Jew, I'm a good Jew at heart, that's all that matters. Why do I have to live like a Jew? Why do I have to practice? Why do I have to act like a Jew? And yet in the moment of truth, they surprise themselves. Because it emerged that being Jewish is the most important thing in their life. So much so that they're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. They would rather die than disconnect the vow or deny their Jewishness. So what does that tell me? Moment of truth could only reveal what's true all along, what's there all along. Whereas in the moment of truth, you discover who you really are, what your priorities are. That's your truth. It's not Hashem's truth. Hashem is imposing His lifestyle on us. Hashem is divine, and therefore He's imposing a divine lifestyle on us. But it's like we feel like we're being straightjacketed because it's not us. It's not natural. It's unnatural. It's not who we really are. 
Isn't it better to be true to yourself, be honest to yourself? You feel like a chaya, live like a chaya. Just the opposite. The moment of truth reveals to us what our truth is. This is my truth. That deep down, this is who I am. This is what I am all about. It only emerges in moments of truth. I'm not in touch with that truth in my daily life. But that's the reality. The reality is, deep down, my deepest self, this is what matters to me. This is who I am. This is what I care about. My Jewishness is the foundation of my being. It's the cornerstone of my being. That's the ultimately, I would make the ultimate sacrifice for that. That's what I'm all about. And therefore, doesn't it make sense that I should live my life accordingly? Consistently with my truth. Now that I know for a fact that this is my truth, then I want to live like that. Today, now. I don't need a crisis. I don't need an emergency to wake me up. I don't need a six-day war to remind me that, there's, you know, that I'm Jewish and it's important to me. Today, this is my truth today, every day, 24-7. So doesn't it make sense that I should live my truth and live a life that's consistent with my truth? It's like a person who would make the same calculation when it comes to their health. Being healthy is the most important thing in my life, and the proof is in the pudding. In the moment of truth, you do anything for your health, so why am I waiting for a crisis, right? An intelligent person would make it reach a conclusion and say, listen, now that I, I feel healthy and I feel great, let me, let me live a life that's consistent with my true nature. That's my truth. I know it's my truth. It's my truth. It's not someone else's truth. It's not the doctor is telling me or someone is nagging me. Or, it's my truth. There's nothing, nothing that means more to me than being healthy, so why don't I act accordingly, consistently? That's the mature way to think. And we have the capacity to, to, to live a life accordingly. Yes, it involves sacrifice and involves strength of character because it means you have to deprive yourself of certain things, of junk food. It means you have to overcome certain natural urges and instincts. But we have that ability. And the proof is that millions of people will do this on a daily basis. So obviously we have that ability. God is not demanding from us the impossible. God is demanding from us the possible. It's the possible man. He's not saying it's easy. It's not easy. This takes meditation. This takes reflection. This takes thought. This takes strength. But it's a strength that each and every one of us could summon. If we only focus and we only realize what's at stake and who we are and what's really going on here, then we would have the clarity and we, and we can make that decision. The question is the reverse. The question is, if this is our truth, why doesn't our realities reflect that truth? Why is there such a huge gap, a grand canyon between our true potential and our actual? If this is our truest nature, our deepest nature, and the moment of truth that emerges and surfaces, why is our life so, so disconnected from that truth? Why do 90% of people actively lead unhealthy lives? If being healthy is the most important thing in my life. And the proof is in the pudding. Why is there such an inconsistency? Why is there such a disconnect? And that's what he addresses now. But if the Kal... Kal Shebechalim does indeed love Hashem so deeply that he will surrender his life for him, why is he a Kal Shebechalim? Why does he sin? Why does he not observe the mitzvah? Kal Shebechalim is someone who... He's like a... a he's light, light-headed about all of this. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't take it seriously. He doesn't take it to heart. He's a Jew, but he doesn't live up to his Jewishness. He doesn't practice his Jewishness. He doesn't care about any of this. And yet, this Kalshabakalim, this little bum, this lightheaded bum, in a moment of truth, will give up his life for his Jewishness. And yet, in his daily life, he's like careless, doesn't care, doesn't, doesn't value 
the Torah mitzvah. You don't value it. You're ready, you're ready to give up your life. And yet in your daily life you don't value it. It's so inconsistent. It makes no sense. How could there be such a disconnect? And the answer is, it is only that a spirit of folly has overcome, literally entered him. As our sages say, no man sins unless overcome by a spirit of folly. He imagines that committing his, this sin will not affect his Jewishness and that his soul will not be severed thereby from the God of Israel. In fact, at the moment that a Jew sins, he becomes separated from Hashem. For the Kal Shabachalim to realize this, he would never sin. The spirit of folly, however, deludes him into thinking otherwise. So, the literal meaning of the Talmud is that a person sins, you do foolish things. You do things that you regret later. You self-destruct. And when you're caught, you feel like, you feel like a fool. I'm so smart. How can, I, how can I do this? It's ridiculous. What did I do? But you don't care. When you're sinning, you're just enjoying yourself. You know, someone said the difference between mitzvot and uh, when you do a sin, the difference between first you say... <laughs> First you say, ah, then you say, oi. <laughs> when you jump into ice-cold water, first you say, oi, then you say, ah, feels great. <laughs> we do a mitzvah, it may be difficult, you have to sacrifice. At the end of the day, you feel great, you feel wonderful. You force yourself, you did it, and thank you, machayat. When you do a sin, it feels good for the moment. At the end of the day, you regret it, and it just leads to heartache and anguish. And so, the... The Talmud literally means that a person does foolish things when he sins. But Alter Rebbe is saying what he, the Talmud really means something much deeper than that. That how is the Talmud explaining how is it even possible for a Jew to sin? He says, and that's called a ruach shtus. It's called a, a, a spirit of folly. It's 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 like a moment of insanity. For a Jew to sin, you have to have a moment of insanity. Otherwise, it would, otherwise we'd be incapable of sinning. If we had the clarity, if we had the maturity, if we were in touch and we felt the depth of the feeling that we had towards godliness, that that's the center of our being, and that's our core and our essence. How would we, then why would we self-destruct? Why would we do anything that goes contrary and it's not inconsistent with our, with our nature, my nature? Why would I do something that violently violates my nature and goes contrary to my nature? Every time a Jew sins, it, you're violently opposing yourself, you'd self-destruct. No matter how much a Jew deludes himself, and a Jew claims, well, this is my nature, and I'm acting naturally, and I'm being true to myself, and this is, this is who I am. Don't buy it for a moment. The Torah looks into that Jew's eyes, and the Torah says, you're lying. You're lying to yourself. You're delusional. It's not true. As much as a person tries to convince himself, but this is my nature, I was born this way, and I can't help myself, and I am who I am, and I have to accept it. The Torah looks you in the eye and says, liar. You're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. It's a lie. It's not true. You don't want to do this. And you're destroying yourself. And you're doing an action that violently opposes your nature. And you're self-destructing. And there are moments of truth when you yourself will realize it. But that's, that's the ability that we have, the capacity, human capacity of self-delusion. Our capacity of self-delusion is infinite. We have the capacity to... It's called immaturity. It's a human condition. We're not in touch with ourselves. We're not honest with ourselves, not in touch with ourselves. So we don't feel that, that power. We don't feel the godliness that's located in the center of our being. We don't feel that our very substance is godly, our very essence is godly. That the Torah way of life, the divine way of life, is not something that's being superimposed upon us from the outside. You know, God is sitting in heaven with a long white beard and 
thinking of ways to make life fun, you know, interesting. Don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and a million and one deed. We are divine. Our substance is divine. Our very essence is divine. And that's why it's the most natural thing for every one of us to live a divine life, to act divine, to think divine, to speak divine. But we don't feel it. We're not in touch with it. We don't connect with it. And we have the spirit of folly, this, this moment of insanity, we forget. Because we delude ourselves. We convince ourselves, of course I'm ready to give up my life for my Jewishness. Yes, most Jews, I'm a Jew at heart. I'm a proud Jew. I gave my $18 to Israel. I'm a proud Jew. But, if you're a proud Jew, I'm ready to give up my life for the Jewish people. So why don't you live like a Jew? Don't give up your life. Give, give a minute of your time to come to Rantville. I'll give up my life, but not a minute of my time. Why? Because I don't make the connection. Of course, if I'm, if I'm begun, if push comes to shove, if a gun is held to my head, deny my Jewishness, I'd rather die. I'll make the ultimate sacrifice. And, th- and this is a fact. You know, the interesting experiment that uh, Jack did with his family. Someone comes to Chabad house here, they were sitting at a Seder, you know, like a very typical American family. Once a year, they all come together. And he went around the table and he asked him, he said, if God gave you the choice, you could be wealthier than Bill Gates. $80 billion in your bank account. One condition. Give up your Jewishness. Would you take it? Not a single hand raised. Not a single person raised their hand. Assimilated. Some of them into that. But not a Jew. I'm not, giving, I'm not giving up my Jewishness. It's unbelievable. That's your truth. Being Jewish is the most important thing in your life. And the fact is, in the moment of truth, it emerges. And yet, you think to yourself, but tefillin? So I don't put on tefillin. So I sin. I'm still Jewish. I'm still, as long as my heart is healthy. My hands are falling apart, my face, <laughs> but every other organ in the body, my heart is healthy, what more do I need? I feel Jewish, I'm proud, that's all I need. It, it's totally inconsistent. But that, that's the insanity. That, that's the part that, the disconnect, the immaturity. You don't realize the inconsistency, the ridiculousness of this. If being Jewish is of that position, if being Jewish is the most important thing in your life, you're ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, then how could you sin? Any sin disconnects you from Hashem. There's no difference between a major sin and a minor sin. You're going against the will of Hashem. It disconnects you from Hashem. You're doing something that's not divine, that's not godly. You speak something that's not godly. You think something that's not godly. You say something. Then you are disconnecting yourself from, from Hashem. So if you're ready to sacrifice, make the ultimate sacrifice, why can you, how can you do something that violently opposes your true nature, your core nature? So the Talmud says a person cannot sin unless a spirit of folly, as a moment of insanity, overwhelms them. And they think, I'm still Jewish. I'm still connected. I'm a good Jew at heart, even though I transgress and I violated the mitzvah. Continue. Similarly, the Chal Shem neglects the positive mitzvot, although his natural love of Hashem dictates that he fulfill them, because he also forgets the love of Hashem hidden in his heart. Were he aware of this love, he would seek out mitzvot to perform in order to unite with Hashem. Again, if you were in touch with your divine essence, then you would want to connect with Hashem. You would want to do mitzvot that connect you with Hashem. Every day of your life you would want to, not you have to, not you feel compelled or forced or imposed upon. You, you would want to do a mitzvah. 
Just like the artist wants to paint every day, the writer wants to write every day, the musician wants to play music every day. You have this love for Hashem, you have this energy inside of you. If your essence and substance is divine, then you want to express that divine energy you have inside of you each and every day of your life. It's something you welcome, something you look forward to eagerly, joyously, passionately. You're excited, you're enthusiastic about doing this. And yet, you can barely motivate yourself to do a mitzvah. It's with a big schlep and a big ach and krach and you know, sacrifices. If you're doing someone the biggest favor, I mean, this total disconnect. It's like delusional. Totally, totally lost touch with reality, with your own reality. You're not in touch with your own reality. That's the sadness of it. It's like a moment of insanity. You're not in touch with your own reality. And that, that's the argument that you make to yourself. Well, this applies to the culture. But as for me, one should say to himself, I have no desire to be such a fool as he to deny the truth. For the truth of the matter is that sin does not separate man from Hashem, and that one doesn't have a natural love of Hashem that dictates the form, performance of mitzvot. These truths, one must say to himself, I don't wish to deny. Such arguments are effective in the conflict with one's animal soul over actual thought, speech, and action. Using the above-mentioned reasoning, one can prevail over his evil inclination at all times in both turning from evil and doing good and thereby attain the rank of the Benini. Although he said earlier in the previous chapter that the way the Benini overcomes his natural instincts is either because God gave us a nature of mind over matter, the mind could control matter, or because Hashem helps us. Here, he's only mentioning the divine aspect, because you think to yourself that being, not only because man has the ability to control his instincts, it's not enough. He's saying, because a person argues to himself, that because I have a divine nature inside of me, and that's my essence, and I'm ready to give up my life and my divine connection, therefore, how much more so that I should live a life that's consistent with my truth? Because... The answer is because, of course, mind over matter. We see that in our daily lives. When something matters to us, we control ourselves, right? The customer is always right. You feel like hanging them. <laughs> you keep on smiling. You overcome your instincts. So I feel a rage. I feel angry. I, you know, then they deserve a good, a good period. But so what? The customer is always right. You keep on smiling. You overcome your instincts. You don't just follow your instincts just because I feel like it. And a person has the ability to overcome. Why? Because money matters to you. Of course, when something matters to you, you'll overcome it. If you value, if you value something, you'll overcome it. You value your health. So even when you're drunk, you'll hold on to the rail. You're not going to stumble down the steps. You're not going to harm yourself. You're not going to use drunkenness as an excuse because you value your health and your life, and therefore you're going to be careful. Something you value, you can overcome instincts. There's no such thing. A person has the ability to overcome instincts. The, the problem is, godliness is so abstract. We don't value godliness. We don't value... So I do a mitzvah. I don't do a mitzvah. I do a sin. I don't do a sin. When we don't value it. So here, this is an argument that makes us value it. When you realize that this is my truth, my core truth, and in the moment of truth it emerges and surfaces and I'm ready to make the ultimate sacrifice. If this is my truth, then, it's some, then you realize that being godly is something that you value. It's your truth. And I want to live a life that's true to myself. That, that, then I feel liberated and free. Freedom means when you live a life that's true to yourself, consistent with yourself. If a person is born with a talent and he doesn't use that talent, he's not a free person. Oh, but I don't have to practice, I don't have to study, I can just live a free life. That's not a free life. Freedom means when you have the freedom to express who you really are. 
That's freedom. Of course, it takes tremendous discipline. The writer writes every day. It's tremendous discipline. But when you're living a life that's consistent with who you really are, with your truth, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing better in the world. There's nothing more enjoyable in, in life. So once you realize that that's your essence, your core and essence, then you begin to value it. And once you value it, Hashem gave us the ability, mind over matter, something that I value, I can overcome my instincts. So I feel like it. So I don't feel like doing the mitzvah. I can't control that. We have urges, we have instincts, we have passions, we're human. We have an animal soul, egotistical, especially in the world we live in. It's all around us, it's a distraction. But nevertheless, we have the ability. Something that I value, I'm not going to throw my life away. I'm not going to disconnect myself. I'm not going to act foolishly. I'm not going to act in a way that I, I will regret later. I want to live a life that I'm proud, that, I'm, that I feel great, that's good, that's consistent with who I really am. So every human being has this ability. Hashem is not asking of us the impossible. This is a rule. Hashem does not ask from us something that's impossible. If Hashem gave us a code of Jewish law and He gave us 613 mitzvot, that means that each and every Jew, without exception, has the ability to be perfect, to think like a Jew, act like a Jew, and speak like a Jew. 100%, 24-7, no matter how you feel, your ups and your downs and your moods, at all times, at all places, we have that ability of self-control, of mastery of our, over our behavior. But that's only true regarding behavior. Continue, it is different. It is different, however, with something entrusted to the heart involving one's feelings, meanings, in our case, that one's heart actually abhor and despises what it now craves, whether it was with absolute hatred, as a perfect tzaddik does, or even not quite so utterly as does the incomplete tzaddik. As we learned earlier, the different levels of the tzaddik, the incomplete tzaddik, the complete tzaddik, the complete tzaddik was totally transformed as ego, and sublimated his ego versus the incomplete tzaddik. But even the incomplete tzaddik also despises um, evil or negativity and has no desire whatsoever. There's no attraction whatsoever of money, power, fame. It means absolutely nothing to him. He's actually despised by it, whether incompletely or completely. Continue. This cannot be attained in complete truth except through the level of intense love of Hashem called love which experiences delights, which consists of delighting in Galilee. We do not have the ability to totally cease to, to desire materialism, simply not in our capacity. So we will struggle. We will have unhealthy urges. We will have unhealthy instincts. We will have self-destructive tendencies. We will be attracted to drunk food and drunk lifestyles. It's just, just that that's our nature, and we can't pretend otherwise. We can't pretend to change it. We can't delude ourselves with that part of our fabric, that's part of our makeup. That's the way Hashem created us. We're not a tzaddik. That tzaddik is able to make that total transformation. But we are destined to struggle for the rest of our life. It will be an uphill struggle. So although we have the power to overcome that instinct, overcome that urge and desire, at all times, at all places, under all circumstances, but nevertheless, we do not have the power to transform ourselves that we shouldn't even have an urge. A person should not aspire to something that's impossible. And don't feel bad. You're going to feel guilty. Says, if I'm such a good person, why do I have such, an, such sick desires or unhealthy desires or, or unhealthy urges and instincts? Maybe I'm a, I'm a rotten person. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. Would a, would a normal person have such uh, um, unhealthy desires? And the answer is don't feel guilty. That's who you are. 99.9% of us are destined to struggle. And it's, it's, not, it's not a crime. Because we didn't choose this. That's why Hashem created us. We're simply not, in, it's not within our ability to do otherwise, to, 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 to desire otherwise. We have egos, and we are human, all too human, and we have animal souls, and we are affected by the world around us, 
and the world speaks to us, the materialistic world speaks to us very loud and clearly. And if it, doesn't, if it needs any help, we have all the help in the world. <laughs> it's only amplified a thousandfold today. It's like flashing, <coughs> flashing, uh, and the full intensity. And you can't feel bad about having these unhealthy urges or having these unhealthy instincts or unhealthy desires. Or That's the way Hashem created us, and there's no crime. There's nothing wrong with it. And you will have it for the rest of your life. So, so he's saying, don't feel bad. It's not within your power. It's only the tzaddik, the rare, rare, unique individual, has the ability to, to change his heart. That Not only he doesn't do anything wrong, he actually despises anything materialistic. Actually hates anything materialistic. And how, how is he, why is he able to do that? Because the tzaddik has totally sublimated his pleasure. His pleasure is godliness. What we find pleasurable, we find materialism pleasurable. His pleasure is totally transformed, has been sublimated to godliness. With the same urge and desire that people run to Las Vegas or run to other, other places, the tzaddik runs to Shul. That's his pleasure. He gets physical pleasure from learning Torah, from doing a mitzvah, from davening, from doing, a, from doing a, an act of kindness, a selfless act of kindness. He derives physical pleasure from it. That's, that's his sexual pleasure. That's, that's the deepest pleasure that, that he has. What we enjoy physical, he enjoys spiritual. So a tzaddik who reaches such a level, he has totally transformed himself. So he has no more desires of this world. He's not tempted to this world. It has no hold or attraction to him. Is it that he transformed himself or what he experienced transformed him? Yeah, well, what, what's the difference? Uh, what, what, what do you mean exactly? Because if you have that experience, then it's the experience that transforms him into wanting more and more of that. And the only way to get it is learning. It's like a drug. Well, we're going to learn that he has. No, it's more than just experience. Because we all learn and we all dive in and we can all even enjoy it. But the tzaddik has the ability that none of us has. The tzaddik has that rear ability and talent and was born with a capacity that he can sublimate his subconscious self. He can, he can actually access his subconscious, and he can totally transform his ego until there's, 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 his whole ego has been totally transformed to godliness. And that's not within our capacity, but that's within his capacity. We'll, we'll learn in a few moments. And that's why he has that ability through effort, through his choice, through his effort, he has that ability to reach, to reach that level, and therefore he can experience godliness on this level. But this is more, we're going to learn in a moment, this is a gift. This is a gift from Hashem. It's not something that we can achieve on our own. It's not a human accomplishment. No human being could achieve it on their own. It's literally a gift from Hashem. And his soul has the capacity to experience this. We can't experience this. As much as we can experience enjoying the act of learning and enjoying a mitzvah and enjoying the holiday and enjoying being kind and good, it's limited. It doesn't penetrate through and through. The tzaddik has the ability, a gift, he's given a gift by Hashem, that it's totally transformational. The experience is totally transformational. It penetrates his whole being through and through. His being becomes godly. His whole being becomes Jewish. He's not just doing the mitzvah or even just feeling the mitzvah externally. His whole pleasure principle has been totally transformed. His whole being has been totally transformed by the mitzvah. That's a total experience. We, we don't experience that. Our experiences are not total. They're pretty superficial. 
skin deep, even if they're emotional, even if they're heartfelt. But it's, it's the external part of the emotion. It's not the essence of the emotion because we don't have the capacity. We can't reach our subconscious. The tzaddik has the ability to experience something and experience it totally with the totality of his being and totally transformational and, and to become totally egoless. It's not within our power. Ego speaks to us. Even if we act divine and we speak divine and we think divine and we're immersed in Torah all day and we're immersed in prayer and we're immersed in acts of goodness and kindness, ego still talks to us and it will continue to talk to us for the rest of our lives. We don't have that power to change it. The tzaddik is totally transformational. Ego no longer talks to him. There's no ego. He doesn't know, he, doesn't, he can't even relate to it anymore. Pride, arrogance, ego, jealousy. He, he, it's, it becomes a curiosity to the tzaddik. The tzaddik looks at us and he can't even relate to us anymore. It's like, it's like a curiosity to him. It's, you know, he, he, he can't relate. It's like, it's like we, we relate to someone, we see Nebuch, someone, uh, a human being eating grass, right? We looked at it as, as an oddity. A human being should eat grass. Like a, they went mad. So, for the tzaddik, uh, pride, arrogance, selfishness, self-absorption, self-indulgence, cruelty, insensitivity, he can't relate to it. Never. Look at these people. He can't even relate to the struggle. What, are we, what, 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 what is it all about? It's an oddity. It's an abstraction. Because he's totally transformed. Totally transformational. He has no ego in him. His experience is so deep and so penetrating. When a tzaddik does a mitzvah, his whole being is doing the mitzvah. He's not only doing Jewish, his whole being is Jewish. <laughs> he's not only praying, the act of praying, his whole being is praying, his whole pleasure, his will, his mind, his heart, his conscious, subconscious, his whole entire being has been totally transformed. This is a gift from Hashem. It's not within our human capacity. Because our frame of reference is the conscious world. We, we don't even have the tools to access our subconscious. It's not within our capacity to access. Not through words, not through thought, not through comprehension, not through uh, external emotions. This is a gift that comes from Hashem. It's a window that opens up. And Hashem opens the window. It's like prophecy. It comes from Hashem. The prophet doesn't choose. Hashem chooses to speak to you. Hashem opens a window and he came down the mountain. It's not within a human capacity. Hashem makes the move. The move comes from Hashem. It's not, it's not within the human capacity. That's why we shouldn't feel bad if we can't achieve this. The fact that 99.9% of us can't achieve it, you can't feel bad. It's not within our human capacity. It's not, it's not even, we're not even capable of this. Yes, it's true. It's true that when we, we know in life, when you really care deeply about something, in moments of danger, moments of crisis, we can access superhuman qualities. We can access potential that we don't even know exists within us. They, they found many times that people were stuck in burning buildings. And they were able to get out of a, a hole that's almost, almost humanly impossible, just by the size. Of, and yet they squeeze themselves out. They were able to shrink their bodies and to get out. Or to take these bars which, which uh, Superman couldn't open, and yet these simple people just bust it open. Or to lift up cars, this superhuman strength that suddenly you discover inside of you, you never even knew you had. Because in moments of truth, moments of crisis, when you care so deeply, when your life is at stake... It reveals these hidden strengths that, that, that you, don't, you can't access in normal situations. So yes, if a person cares very, very deeply about Hashem, and that's one of the signs of a tzaddik. We learned earlier, the tzaddik has to be someone who has tremendous merit. There's a lot of Torah, a lot of mitzvot. We learned in the introduction to the second part of Tanya, the gateway of unity. 
that the tzaddik is like the one who has the perseverance, who has the dedication to climb Mount Everest. It takes a tremendous motivation. The tzaddik has this massive motivation. And maybe because the tzaddik cares so much, so the tzaddik is able to access, access depth, hidden depth that, that the average person cannot access because he cares so deeply. And it means so, matters so much to him. And he has this tremendous drive and perseverance to reach the peak of Mount Everest and to climb it and to overcome all obstacles and to persevere. And he's obstinate and doesn't give up and continues and does a massive amount of Torah mitzvah that's so motivated, it's simply beyond the average capacity. This is one or two in a generation. This, this, is, this is not something that the average person could achieve. So, yes, the tzaddik, because he cares so deeply, maybe he's able to access, he's able to reach and able to tap into such, such hidden depth. But he says here, this is a gift from Hashem. It's a window that opens up from Hashem. Mm-hmm. Akin to the bliss of the world to come, concerning which our sages say that souls will bask in the radiance of new presence. Only such love which experiences delights creates a hatred of evil, as explained in the previous chapter. Only if your desire has been totally sublimated, your pleasure principle has been totally sublimated, that all you find pleasurable is godliness, then you will come, it's two sides of the same coin. When you love something and you find something pleasurable, anything that's opposite of it, you hate, you abhor. So if, if, if godliness becomes your entire pleasure, then you hate anything that's not godly. And you, you, you're sickened by it. You're sickened by superficiality. You're sickened by, by money, fun, fame, power, all these external drives that people have. You just... So it's, it's two sides of the same coin. So because the tzaddik has achieved such a high level, as in the world to come, continue, concerning one. Concerning one who experiences this love of delights, our sages said, you shall see a glimmer of your reward in the world to come in your lifetime. Not every man is privileged to attain this state, for it is in the nature of a reward received from above and a reward can only be received. This world is the world of action. The reward is, is after, in the afterlife. <clears throat> the reward is the pleasure that, that Hashem rewards us. But there are some, the tzaddikim, it says, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov were given a taste of the world to come. So a tzaddik, the level of the tzaddik, to be able to find godliness so pleasurable, to find studying Torah so pleasurable, to find serving Hashem so pleasurable, to find being selfless and good and to have a consummate uh, love for Hashem and a passionate love for Hashem, this is a gift from Hashem. This is a gift. Hashem opens a window and gives a person a reward. It's the ultimate gift. It's not, it's not a human, it's not something you take on your own. It's not something you can achieve on your own. It's a gift that comes from Hashem. That Hashem opens a window, opens our soul, opens the tzaddik soul and his hidden depth suddenly comes to the surface. His, his core essence comes to the surface. His subconscious becomes his conscious. Most of us, there's a grand canyon between our conscious and our subconscious, between our potential and our actual. The tzaddik no longer has that, that gap. The tzaddik's potential is his actual. His subconscious is his conscious. He wears his subconscious on, on, on his sleeve. It, it's accessible to him. That's a gift from Hashem. It's not within the human capacity. When Mashiach will come, in the world to come, when Mashiach will come, that will be the reward. Hashem will, will bridge that gap 
between our subconscious and our conscious, our inner heart, our inner soul will emerge and surface. It will no longer be a, a dichotomy, a split between our potential, our actual subconscious, conscious. Our neshama will come to the surface. And therefore, Mashiach will come. There will no longer be a Yetzirah. There will no, no longer be an evil inclination. Because you won't even be tempted. When you have clarity and you, have, you feel the depth of the godly essence, spark, that's located in the center of our being, you're not even tempted to do anything. You have, you have, you have that clarity. So that's a reward that's going to be after Mashiach comes. But there are certain souls that are like citizens of the future. The tzaddik is like a citizen of the future. The tzaddik is giving us a taste of the future, something we can aspire to, something we can hope for, because we know that one day we'll all be there. The tzaddik is just a forerunner. You know, you, you, see, you see all these, they roll out all these um, model cars from the future. 20 years from now, hydrogen cars, electric cars. You know, it, it's something of the future. You know, even though you know eventually it's going to happen. If there's one model, you know, eventually it's going to happen. Eventually they'll get there. Right now it's a rare thing. There's only one in the country, two in the country. It's way advanced. It's way ahead of its times. But it's there. And it's there means that eventually we'll all catch up. That's just the way it works. Hashem gave us some role models. So he rolled out some models of... <laughs> A, a model person of a tzaddik of Avram, Yitzhak Yaakov telling us that this is the wave of the future one day Mashiach will come inevitably and we'll all be there so we have something to aspire to we know that there's a lot more there's a lot more going on that meets the eye and there's something much better in store ahead of us but this is a gift this is a reward it's not something we can accomplish on our own with the tools that we have today we simply do not have the capacity to accomplish this Hashem did not give us the tools with which to accomplish this He doesn't demand it of us that's not what the code of Jewish law demands from us. The code of Jewish law does not demand don't be tempted. It doesn't say anywhere in the code of Jewish law don't be tempted. It says in the code of Jewish law control yourself. Behave accordingly. So you're tempted, so. It's not an excuse. Not, not in the Jewish book. Not in the Torah. Not by Hashem. It's no excuse. So you're tempted, so what? Do the right thing anyway. That's what Hashem demands. And that we have the capacity to do. Continue. Thus it is written. Thus it is written, I, God, shall grant you your priestly service as a gift. Service of God with this statically blissful love is designated priesthood, even though it is not restricted to the Kohanim, members of the priestly family of Aaron. The above-quoted verse tells us that this lofty level of divine service is a gift from God, as it is explained elsewhere. The Zohar explains that the Kohen represents the highest Jew. The Jew as a window to his subconscious. The Jew who serves Hashem in the quietness of his heart. The Kohen who is the leader, the spiritual leader of the Jewish people, the ultimate role model of the Jew. The Kohen is the one who serves Hashem in his heart, who has transformed his heart to Hashem. And the Torah says that the service of a Kohen, which refers to any Jew who, who achieves the highest level of love of Hashem, love of the light, who finds pleasure, in serving Hashem, it finds pleasure, physical pleasure, and ecstasy and pleasure in serving Hashem, this is a gift. To be able to live on that level, to be able to have this love, to be able to experience godliness on this level, that godliness becomes natural to you, just like to us, physicality and materialism and ego comes so natural to us. When godliness becomes so natural to you, that it physically gives you lust and pleasure, that, that's what you lust, that's what your pleasure, that is your pleasure. You've totally sublimated your ego your pleasure principle to godliness, that's a gift from Hashem. That's not something we can accomplish. We know it's there. There's one or two in every generation that live in that level. 
And we know that one day eventually we'll all get there. But right now, this is not who we are. Okay, continue. Consequently. Consequently, the rank of tzaddik is not within every man's reach. It is dependent upon one's loathing of evil, which is in turn contingent on his experiencing that blissful love, which is a gift from God. The level of benoni, however, is attainable by all. Okay, so now Al-Turebi is going to come back. One of the questions he asked in the first chapter. E of Job said, turns to Hashem and says, you created tzaddikim. And you created wicked ones, Rishayim. And the question Alter Rebbe says, how can Job claim, turn to God and say that you created Tzadikim and you created the Rishayim? When the Torah states clearly, it says in the Talmud, that the angel, when the fourth child is born, the angel declares, you will be wise, you will be foolish, you will be strong, you will be weak, you will be wealthy, you will be poor. Because we don't choose that. We don't choose which families are born into. We don't choose... That's a destiny that Hashem, every soul has their destiny. They're going to be wealthy, they're going to be poor, they're going to be wise, not wise, talented, etc. But whether you're going to be a tzaddik or a rasha, when you're going to be moral or ethical or spiritual or godly or wholesome or good, that's your choice. The angel does not declare that because that's your choice. Life is unpredictable. That's the whole fun of life. We're unpredictable. We don't know from moment to moment what are we going to choose. Are we going to choose the right path or are we going to choose the wrong path? Are we going to destroy ourselves or are we going to choose the wholesome path? And even if we choose the, uh, the destructive path, any moment, we can change it. We can take a quantum leap. We can do teshuva. We can turn our lives around. We can turn our situations around. We're never stuck. That's the beauty of life in this world. Life, only life in this world. Do we have freedom of choice? Could we make the quantum leap? We can change our life 180 degrees in one split second. In heaven, you can't change your life. Whatever you are, you are. When a person comes after 120 years, whatever you've done, you've done. Whatever you are, you are. Except the children. When the children make their choices, that, that they benefit the soul of their loved ones and their parents, and they could, and sometimes parents' children, and they could elevate them. Because it's only in this world that we can change. This is the world of change. This is the world that's unpredictable. Heaven is very predictable. There are no newspapers in heaven. It's boring. I mean, it's very predictable. What, what, what are you going to write? The angels praise God this morning. I mean, they praise God yesterday, and they're going to praise God tomorrow. It's a foregone conclusion. I mean, when animals reach... Puberty, there's no surprises left. You know exactly what's going to happen. You know the program. There's absolutely zero surprises. Unless maybe they start hanging, hanging around people. But human beings are the only ones who have choice, who are full of surprises. Life is unpredictable. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's full of drama. It's, we have newspapers, news. Because it's, it's every day. We don't know what's going to happen next. Just because I acted a certain way for the last 20 years, I can change my behavior overnight and I can become a different person. Any moment, any time. So, the... How is that different? You said that the tzaddikim have the capacity. So isn't that being preordained? Oh, very good question. Where's the tzaddik's freedom of choice? Don't forget the tzaddik also has to make a choice. It's not that tzaddik is born a tzaddik and he's born... The tzaddik has the capacity to be a tzaddik, but the tzaddik can make a choice. If a tzaddik doesn't utilize his capacity, the tzaddik could t- there are many tzaddikim who turned evil. If a tzaddik, Yeravim um, Benavat, was a tzaddik, he was equivalent of David HaMelech. Yeravim Benavat, his teacher was Achi Yashilani, the teacher of the Baal the one who anointed Elio's teacher, who lived for 500 years, the master of the Zohar and the Kabbalah, the Achi Yashilani. And yet, he turns sour. When a tzaddik, a tzaddik has a choice. If a tzaddik doesn't utilize his potential, then he ends up being a big disaster. 
And if a tzaddik, even after he's a tzaddik, if a tzaddik doesn't make his choices and doesn't make his struggles, which is choosing from good even better, eventually he can end up, end, end up being a rasha. A person always has freedom of choice. It's not that tzaddik is, is a superman or a tzaddik is, is, is God. A tzaddik is, a tzaddik is human. Flesh and blood. Greatest tzaddik. And he, he has to make his choices as well. So everyone has to make a choice. But when a tzaddik chooses and a tzaddik exerts effort, he has the capacity to turn into a tzaddik. Like Einstein. Einstein, Einstein wasn't born Einstein. Einstein. In the crib, he, he, he came up with this theory. He worked hard. When he worked hard, he turned into Einstein. We can work for a thousand years and we'll never be Einstein. We don't have the capacity. God didn't create us with the capacity. But Einstein had the capacity. But when he worked hard, he turned up into Einstein. But of course, all it means is he has the potential, the raw potential. Doesn't mean it comes with a silver platter and that he can go to sleep. Um, so everyone has choice. Was Ben Nevat the only example in the, in the Chumash? No. The, the, they the refer to him as the, you know, that example, but. Korach? Korach, yeah. But we know, was Korach a Yitzhak before? Yeah, before, and of course. Korach was not a simple person. Dafs and Navira were not simple people. Esau had a tremendous potential. Look what happened to him. I have one problem with the whole thing. When you talk about no victims, there's nothing such as a victim. I have tremendous problems with that because if through accident or injury or, or something that befalls a person or the most righteous person walking down the street gets shot, you're saying there's never any victim? There's never someone who's oh. a victim of oh. circumstances? No, no. Okay, so uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm glad you uh, clarified it. We're talking about moral choices. Okay. Of course, we believe very strongly. I know there's very foolish theories out there. I know there's a book that's a bestseller now, and everyone is talking about it, which he says everyone creates their own realities and, and basically blaming the Holocaust on the victims because, if, yeah, because they thought negatively and therefore they attracted all negative energy. I mean, like the secret, right? I want to talk about the secret, which is full of nonsense. Um, no, a person does not control external circumstances. That's idolatry. We do control how we react to it. But if you're born with something, isn't then that God, well, it wouldn't be that God gave you, God gave you a challenge, but in a sense, you could consider yourself a victim well, well our, our freedom of choice is very limited. It only affects moral, ethical, and how we react to our circumstances. There are people who are born very poor and grew up beautiful and humble, right. humble and real. There are people who are very rich who grew up beautiful and well-adjusted and wholesome. And there are people who grew up spoiled and there are people who grew up, you know. How we react to our circumstances, that's our choice. Our circumstances is not our choice. And whoever thinks it is his choice, the whole idea of a self-made man, and it's idolatry because Hashem, everything comes from Hashem. We don't lift a pinky unless Hashem wants to. That, 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 that's the ultimate truth, and that's faith, and that's reality. The choice is what we do with it, how we react to it. That's our choice. That's where freedom of choice comes in. So if someone does something immoral, someone does something unethical, and he blames well, it's not my fault. This is the way I grew up. This is the example I saw by my parents. This is the way society, it's, it's, it's your fault. It's everyone's fault. It's, right. that's, that's a, the Torah doesn't buy that for one split second. That's all nonsense. It's all thrown away. You have choice. The way you react, the way you behave, 24-7. There's no breaks, there's no excuses. You're totally responsible for your action. 
That, that's choice. Morally, ethically, how you react to circumstances. Not the circumstances that you find yourself in. That's not your choice. So it's a very good distinction. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you, you clarified it. So he says, so now we can understand. So the question was, how can Job say that Hashem created Tzadikim and He created Rishayim when it says clearly in the Talmud and the Torah says, states clearly that a person, that the, the angel is not the clear when you're born if you're going to be a Tzadik, moral or not moral. That's your choice. That's the whole foundation of Judaism. If it was predestined, just like it's predestined, you're going to be wealthy or poor or wise or, well, or successful or not successful, you're going to have mazel, you're not going to have mazel. If just like that's predestined, you're predestined to be, to be righteous or not righteous, how could there be punishment and reward? The whole foundation of Judaism is you have choice, that life is unpredictable. We're not destiny. Genes are not destiny. This whole search today to find a gene for every... every, every Every urge that a person has and every instinct that a person has and every predisposition that a person has is really, really beyond the points. Of course we have predispositions. Of course we have urges. Of course we have instincts. But so what? You have freedom of choice. Life is unpredictable. Quantum mechanics. Applied, real-life application of quantum mechanics. You can change at any time. No one is stopping you. You have the choice to rise above your nature and above your instincts and above your habits. But we can only change to the best of our ability. You can change your behavior. That's what he's saying. You can't change that you shouldn't have a desire, that you shouldn't be predisposed, and you shouldn't have an urge. No, for example, the Torah condemns certain acts. The homosexual act, for example. The Torah doesn't condemn the homosexual urge. It's not, if, if you're created with that predisposition, the Torah is not condemning it. But the Torah says you have the ability to overcome and you can behave a certain way. Just because you have a certain predisposition, that doesn't mean that that's destiny and you have no choice. The Torah totally rejects it. That's your particular test, anyway. Everyone has a test. Everyone has a struggle. <clears throat> the person who is, who is, who is heterosexual but, but is not faithful or has difficulties being faithful, that, that's his struggle. Adultery is, is just as bad. So, it's, 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 I mean, everyone has their struggle. And uh, the person who has to, the kleptomaniac has their struggle. And the person who's dishonest in business has their struggle. Everyone has a struggle. Life is a struggle. Get used to it. That's reality. That's what life in this world is all about. Life is a struggle. And we have the capacity to make a quantum leap, to overcome, and that's, that's when you become real. That's when you, become, that's when you exercise the divine spark inside of you. That's when you rise above an animal. Otherwise, we're just animals. Otherwise, we're just, we're just Pavlovian uh, dogs. And we're just predictable. But man has the capacity to do something unpredictable, to rise above your nature, to rise above instinct. We are the only ones who have that capacity. We created the image of God. That's the meaning of man is created in the image of God. Not animals, not angels. Only human beings are created in the image of God because we have the capacity to choose, to rise, to go above our nature. That's what makes us human. That's what makes us real. That's when we begin to live. A person who follows his nature and his urges and his instincts is not alive. He's walking on four. He's just wearing a suit. It doesn't make him a man. <laughs> When do you become a man and reflect created the image of God? When you live up to your, when you tap into that divine spark inside of you, you rise above your nature. So that's what the Torah demands from us. We have the capacity to surprise ourselves and to surprise Hashem. To Hashem's great delight, infinite delight, when we overcome our nature, when it's difficult, and we overcome our habit. But we can't transform ourselves so we shouldn't have those predispositions and truth. We're going to struggle the rest of our life. That's our destiny. We shouldn't feel guilty about it. Don't feel guilty and don't feel I'm not a whole person. 
Because look, I have all these inner struggles. No, life, the ideal in life is not nirvana. You'll have that after 120 years. <laughs> no one's going to bother you there. That's not life. That's not the goal of life. That's not the ideal in life. Nirvana is not a Jewish ideal. Everything should be natural. Everything should go smooth. No conflict. That's not the Jewish ideal. It's, it's, the ideal is life is a struggle. Because we have these two souls. And don't feel guilty if these predispositions and these urges and instincts come from the animal soul, from the ego soul. But we have a godly soul. And we have the capacity to overcome these urges and instincts. And we have the choice. We have the, the mind over matter. Hashem gave us the mind. So a person knows, yes, you'll never feel whole. You'll never be 100% whole. You'll never achieve nirvana. But you can live a life that's wholesome, that's truthful, that's consistent with your truth, consistent with your core and essence. And that's a Jewish life. When you do Jewish, and you act Jewish, and you think Jewish, and you do the right thing, you, 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 you feel like a million dollars because you're doing the right thing. It's difficult, it's sacrifice, it's a struggle, but you feel great. Look, there are millions of people who lead healthy lives, who live healthy diets, and they feel like a million dollars. It's difficult, it's a struggle, it's a conflict. I don't see women. What? I don't see women. <laughs> well, the women are more in touch with their soul. The soul we get has nothing to do with all of this. I mean, it has, we're not given that. Nobody has a better soul or a... Oh, so that, that, that's what he's saying now, actually. That's what he's telling us now. No, we do have different souls. <laughs> okay, continue. Very good. As stated in Tikkun So he says, and now we can now understand Job's statements. Therefore did Job say, you created Tzadik. We can understand Job's statement reference to those souls created with the capacity of attaining the rank of a Tzadik. So when he says you created Tzadikim, he doesn't mean that it's predestined you're going to be a Tzadik. If it's predestined, then there's no freedom of choice. It means you created the souls of those who have the capacity to be a tzaddik. Once they make their choice and they choose the right thing, they have the capacity to grow into a tzaddik. Versus everyone else, 99.9% of us, or higher, that do not have that capacity. As we can, we can try and exert ourselves and with the best of effort and the best of intentions, we do not have the capacity to be a tzaddik. We do not have a capacity to transform ourselves that we shouldn't even have predispositions or, chain, or urges or, or unhealthy instincts, etc. We don't have that capacity. Continue. What happened oh, well. with the Rabbi Akiva? For 40 years he was not... Because he wasn't exposed. But, the moment, but his Rachel saw that in him, saw that potential in him. And that's why she left her father and went with him and lived an impoverished life because she saw the greatness in him. She saw the capacity that he had. She believed in him, and she saw that capacity, and he had the capacity. Well, keep, for 40 years because he wasn't exposed. Due to no fault of his own, like most Jews today. Most Jews today, due to no fault of their own, grew up in homes without any Jewish, positive, a single positive and meaningful Jewish experience. So maybe you have potential tzaddikim out there, but they just don't know better. Beautiful people, beautiful people. They just don't know any better, due to no fault of their own. Rabbi Kiva was like that. Continue. As stated in the Pune Zohar, there are many grades and degrees in Jewish soul. Pious men, Hasidim, strong men, Giborim, who gain mastery over their evil inclination, scholars of the Torah, prophets, Tzaddikim, and so forth. Not there. Accordingly, within the ranks of the souls, there are those who are categorized as Tzaddikim. So, he's saying, 
that the, the Zohar already writes that there are different types of souls. That there are souls who are tzaddikim, that are born with the capacity to be a tzaddik. Just like he says, there are souls who are giboyrim, who are strong. They have the strength of character. There are souls who are born with this inclination. They have the strength of character to master over the evil inclination. That's their strong point. You have souls who are pious, who are kind and compassionate. You have souls who are scholars of Torah. You have, every, you have souls that have different bents. You have souls that are spiritual, very spiritual, prophets. They're, they're, they're consumed by godliness. And then there are tzaddikim. So there are souls who have a certain bent, a certain capacity. So that's what Job meant. God created souls that have the capacity to become a tzaddik. The innate, inherent capacity to be a tzaddik, if they only choose. And versus the rest of us that don't have that capacity. What if they get into a body that's growth? That's, uh... oh, like we learned earlier in chapter 2 depending on the parents. But it doesn't matter. If they have, if they have yes, it's, it's tougher for them, but nevertheless, obviously the ideal is if you have a refined body and a refined soul. We learned in chapter 2 that the body depends on, the, on what the parents were thinking during the moment of conception. And sometimes we find very holy souls who are born to very simple parents. And... But it's, it's, it's more difficult for the soul because they, they, the body is coarse, but the soul is very, is very elevated, a very elevated soul. Then you have vice versa. You have bodies that are very refined because they come from very fine parents. And the parents had very holy thoughts during conception, and they come from very fine families, very refined people. But they're not such great souls. They're not so intense, not so deep, they're not so original. They're, not, you know, they're just small souls, mediocre souls, but just in, 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 in silk clothing. And then you have souls which are intense, deep, creative, powerful souls, but who are born in very humble beginnings, very coarse. And then the ideal is if you have both, you have holy souls. Then you get excited. Then you have excited. Either way, you have excited. The soul it depends on the soul. Primarily, it depends on the soul. The question is, if it's easier, or it's not. There was a Hasidic Rebbe. After the Rebbe took over, he was he was like his beetle, his gabbai. And he, uh, he had no yichas. He didn't come from anyone special. He, and, you know, his father was a baker. And once he was meeting his colleagues, and they were all reputable rabbis. This one was ten generations from uh, the Maral of Prague, and this one was ten generations of this rabbi, and this rabbinic family, and this rabbinic dynasty. And everyone's going around the room talking about their illustrious... And then they came to him, and you know, his father was a baker. So he says, my father taught me one lesson in life. He says, better a fresh piece of bread. <laughs> yeah. What? No, no. I'm talking about Hasidic rabbis. It was, uh, I think, I think it was Zidrachay, but I forgot already who it was. <laughs> you know, sometimes Yichus is not everything. He was, a sim- he was a holy soul, came from a very humble background, but he was, uh, on the other hand, once the the Mittler Rebbe, the son of the Alter Rebbe, was in charge of educating the, the young, younger light, the young people. And um, one time, one of the Hasid and the Mittler Rebbe, Rabbi Ber, was giving him strong musr. He says, you don't, really, you don't really serve Hashem, you don't really daven properly, you know. And he turns to the Mittler Rebbe, he says, listen, you're comparing you to, you to I. 
you know, when you were born, I'm sure your parents, what holy thoughts they had. And they fetched you from the highest levels of the world of souls. They took the holiest soul they could find. He says, me, you can imagine what my parents were thinking. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> and I have to wake up three in the morning. And I have to go, he made a living. I'm going three in the morning. And he would go to all the farms there and peddle the stuff. So you come three in the morning to the farmer without l'chaim in Russia, nothing goes. So I have to say l'chaim with the, with the, with the goita there, <laughs> you know, the farmer, the peasant and his wife, three o'clock in the morning, I have to give a shot and then we can talk business. After going to, to a few such peasants and then I come to shul, you can imagine already what preparation I have for davening. He was putting himself down, but the truth was he was a big chassid. He was davening for hours. He was a very high level of a person. The so Mittler Rebbe was giving him musr. Obviously he was someone, you know, you have to be worthy to receive musr. But when he heard this, the Mithra Rebbe heard this, he became so shaken. He ran to his father and had a private audience with his father. Later on, the Alter Rebbe told his chassid, thank you for making my son into a chassid. <laughs> because, you know, he was... But he realized, like, he, saw, he heard the truth of what he was saying. Well, look at us, humble beginnings. Look what you're demanding from us. Are you demanding of yourself the same thing you're demanding? Oh, you grew up with such noble surroundings. Of, uh, you grew up in the palace, you know. You never had it rough. You never... What do you know about struggle and conflict and about reality? And, um, and that really got him. That really shook, shook up. So, um, <laughs> so everyone, of course, if a tzaddik has a holy soul and has a holy body, that, that's the ideal. If a tzaddik has a tzaddik, the soul of a tzaddik, but he has a coarse body, it will make it more difficult. It will get in the way. But, of course, the soul will prevail. If the soul is a tzaddik, he has the capacity to be a tzaddik. You know, but ideally, if you have both, if you have holy parents, and the body is, is holy. Most of the time, the tzaddikim are usually the sons of tzaddikim. <laughs> Yitzchak was a son of Avram. Of course, it was an exception. Rivka, Rebecca, her, her father was wicked. Her family was wicked. She was like a rose amongst thorns. So you have both, both examples in Judaism. We continue it.